Are you or someone you know looking for a tool to assess and support the historical thinking skills? If so, you should check out the historical thinking skill progressions that the Office of Personalized Learning has developed. So what is the purpose of these progressions? The purpose is to provide tools for teachers to make learning more transparent and to help find the right entry points for students in their progress towards mastering each historical thinking skill. These progressions were designed to be student-facing using kid-friendly language. We know that these skills are embedded throughout the South Carolina Social Studies standards and want to empower students and teachers to be able to make informed decisions about their learning. These progressions can be used as a tool for self-assessment, conferencing, feedback, goal setting, small group lesson planning, reflection, and more. For more information about the historical thinking skill progressions, please visit personalizesc.ed.sc.gov and use the Contact Us tab to find your regional coach. It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Making It Personal podcast. In today's episode, you'll hear a segment from the iTalks podcast hosted by the Anderson 5 Disc team. This episode, done in collaboration with the Office of Personalized Learning, features coaches from around the state discussing their school and district journeys with personalized learning and their different approaches to coaching, supporting teachers, and building capacity for this work. Let's jump into the conversation. So the first thing that we want to know and learn from you is how did you get started on your journey towards facilitating opportunities to learn more about personalized learning and implementing it into classrooms? Again, my name is Lauren Blackwell. I'm the technology and learning coach at Richland School District 2. We are in year two of the process. COVID kind of put us on a pause for a little bit. Yeah, because we actually started, um, this is my third year in Richland, too, at Center for Achievement. So we started, uh, well, the conversation started before I even got here. Um, but I guess the true beginning of it started because we that first year, we were doing those um, PD sessions with the State Department to kind of get us in that direction, to kind of get us going. So I would say our journey began at that moment fully. Um, but conversations began a little bit prior because I came into CFA knowing that this was geared towards being a personalized learning school. So my journey started before I even joined Berkeley County School District. I was in a prior district and I was a model classroom for personalized learning with second and third graders in a Title I school. And I have left the state and had come back. So I was an instructional coach in New Mexico for a little bit where I um brought some more elements of personalized learning and kind of what um, Sarah was saying, modeling the model for PD, did a lot of work with that. And then I came back to South Carolina and joined Berkeley County School District. So I support a variety of schools. I'm a part of a team of eight and we support, I have schools that I work with. So we have some schools that are more into their journey of personalized learning, some that are beginning, some that are just having pockets of teachers look at some options and some schools that we're trying to be um, crafty with about just learning, let's get to know young learners and not even using 
the framework or the terminology because we know there's a lot on their plate. So we don't want to stress anyone out. So we're trying to be um, very strategic in each school. And then we also come back together as a team and help support our growth in understanding personalized learning. And we also are hosting a graduate course through College of Charleston for teachers in Berkeley County to help them get a little bit more invested and um, implementing personalized learning faster. And I just completed my dissertation on personalized learning. So about last week, um, so that's my big celebration that I just finished that. So huge weight off my shoulders and now I can dive further into it. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, Thank you. Uh, this is Becky Funderburk again from York School District 1. Um, I have a little bit of a unique journey. This is my second district with doing the work of personalized learning. So I've um, been supported by the Office of Personalized Learning since it started. So I've gone from the school level as an instructional coach, um, supporting a school with moving in this work. And then this is my first year um, at a district level. So our district also is um, considerably small, small but mighty, I like to say. We just went one-to-one -one with COVID. So um, when I came on board this year, we um, were one-to-one -one, um, third grade through 12th grade. So my position is a new position as well as three new specialists to help support the work. The five of us um, all do this work. There was one person doing all the work. It's a huge transition for us because um, you have a lot of people that were doing our work within the school building now being supported at the district level. But we are real excited about, um, you know, it's kind of nice that we're just now going one-to-one -one because uh, we can hit the ground running with the components of a great personalized school district. Um, our district just went a, through a strategic change agenda process where we were redefining what our mission, vision, and beliefs are. And one of our goals is centered um, around personalized learning and technology integration. So it is a great alignment for us. I'm real excited about um, what's going to happen over the next couple of years. For Lexington 3, we, I guess it's year five or six that we've been starting to invest in scale and spread. The first year, the Office of Personalized Learning was implemented. We sent a team from several different of our schools, and they went and they dove in. These were our early adopters, our innovators, and we have been working to scale and spread even through COVID. And we use that time and that space to create a K-12 math and ELA learning continuum. So we are looking at some system approaches, but we're also looking at school level and what's appropriate for our schools. Can you tell us more about the learning continuum? We came together virtually during our COVID shutdown because we had a little bit of extra time and we were helped by KnowledgeWorks. They kind of facilitated some of those conversations out of Ohio for us and we prioritized standards. So we took all of the ELA and math standards in their groups, and they categorized them, priority, supplemental, and helpful. And so that coding process and those vertical conversations, because it was a system, and we're, we have four schools, so we're a smaller district. But that was some of the best conversations I have been witness to, and our teachers came out of that saying that they now better understand their standards. They have a deeper understanding of what goes from each grade level and how to best teach that. 
We have since regathered last summer and had those vertical conversations again of, are these our priority standards? So it's a fluid process and an evaluation of, is this too many? Because we had several teachers that came back and said, I thought every one of my standards was important and it's just not. <laughs> so we're not saying that the standards aren't important, but what are those priorities that we're hitting on? And then the other ones are gonna fall into place. And I was going to say, um, Maggie mentioning this, um, Carrie is the, the lead on our office's podcast. So if you want to hear more about Maggie and one of her teachers describing their journey in more detail, um, if you look at our Making It Personal podcast, um, I think that was what, Carrie, maybe last month? Um, maybe, Carrie. <laughs> um, but uh, if you're more interested in hearing what that was like from both a teacher perspective and Maggie's perspective as a coach, um, that's a good episode to listen to also after you listen to this one of course <laughs> <laughs> and the link to the podcast that dr green was talking about will be in our show notes so i think what becky said about alignment with her district's vision really leads well into another question because when you talk personalized learning and as a coach for and i've been in this for 20 years like i know what happens people think oh another thing so as coaches when you're trying to get that buy-in are you thinking about what initiatives already align with this? Or were you thinking more, what language do we already use that is basically still the same thing of what we're talking about with personalized learning? So how have you as coaches or even at the district level, like Becky's talking about, been able to get that genuine buy-in? Um, you know what I'm talking about, y'all, not just compliance, but like, yes, this is what we want for kids. For us, I think we already had that common goal or that shared vision that we want to do whatever is necessary for our students to be successful. And so with me being a, uh, coming in as a reading coach, um, you know, I, I already had a chance to sit in with teachers and review data, um, go over best learning possibilities for students. And so with that, it kind of just lent itself towards that merge to be able to become, okay, so now instead of um, just simply talking about what needs to be done. Let's take it a step further and look at how we can actually personalize to meet those individual or collective needs of students. Um, so when I first got here, we were using the term playlist. Um, it may not have looked the same as you know it looks now and how we've kind of um, evolved it to what it looks now, but we were using that common language. And so even thinking about the language of learner profile, learning pathway, it all just kind of came together. And I won't say necessarily that we had to have that, like that true buy-in because the thinking, that collective thinking was already there. And so once we just kind of got on board, so this is what we're going to name it. This is what this process is going to look like. You know, of course there were some where it wasn't necessarily a pushback, but just fear of empowering students to that point. But, you know, once these, um, the teachers see the outcome or, and even knowing that I'm in the trenches with them because I'm actually in the classroom too. So they see, okay, if it's being done by her as a coach and as a teacher, then, you know, we can do it too. So, <laughs> so I kind of, um, and Lauren, if you want to add something to that because you're coaching as well. Yeah. So um, Richland too is also an AVID district. So that is a district initiative that we have to kind of scoop in with the personalized learning. So there are a lot of AVID strategies that we incorporate with our playlists and things like that. We're also a very technology focused district as well. We try to make sure that we have a lot of different um, technology options for them to utilize in their playlists. So we're 
um, very intentional about the resources that we purchase for our teachers to be able to utilize. So the students have a lot of choice in the ways that they go in and redefine their learning or maybe review or even extend the learning that they're working on. We're in Lexington 3. Our middle and our high school is an avid school, or they're both avid schools as well. So we're kind of in that same boat. Of, we started avid a little bit before we started personalized learning. So making those connections for our teachers and trying at every opportunity to see how they support each other and having our avid elective teacher see those connections too has been very helpful in moving the, towards this as one unit. We're here for student-centered learning. And as you were mentioning, Lauren and Jamie, y'all have a lot of tools, and that's what we kind of want our teachers to see. We've um, dabbled in Lucy Calkins and moved towards that. We're avid. All these are tools to bring together to support your students' learning. They're strategies at your disposal to build those playlists, or we use choice boards as kind of the language that we see in the middle school in particular. But all of these are tools to best suit student learning. So Maggie and Jamie, you both talked about those connections and getting buy-in as opposed to compliance. Um, was there a point where you got together with your teachers and you said, let's look at what you're already doing. Let's look at your practices and let's go ahead and help you to understand that these practices are already your playlist. These practices are already student learning. And then these practices are already competencies. So was there a moment that, and you know, not just Jamie or Maggie, but anybody that you sat down to get that buy-in? And if you did do that, do you feel like that was the huge aha moment for teachers to see that this is not one more thing? However, it's already what you're doing. It's just bringing that common language. Absolutely. And um, like, when I spoke the first time, just kind of thinking about um, the work as a coach that I do with them anyway, and um, Lauren can attest to this as well, you know, just knowing this is what we sit down and do anyway. And so knowing that, and like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this is what you're doing anyway, you know, the teachers are doing anyway. And so having them to understand that and seeing it plain that was a big um, aha moment for them to say, okay, so I am doing this. I, I can actually, this is something that I'm comfortable with doing. I know I need to take this step further, but since the work has already been laid out for me, then I'll know how to ease into that next step. And so that was um, where that aha moment came from with them, knowing that there was that seamless merge for it. Right. And it's, um, it's always fun. Uh, one of my favorite things to say is good teaching is good teaching. So no matter what you're doing, if you know you're good at your job, this is a framework and a way of thinking. So I think sometimes um, classroom teachers can feel that burden of all the things that pile on their plate and pile on their plate, and it becomes overwhelming. And showing them a new way of thinking can be hard sometimes when everything else in the world is changing. Your pedagogy and your practices are things that make you comfortable in your classroom. So being able to give them an opportunity to breathe, because sometimes in the world of education, anything that's new is like, oh, I don't want to do it. Some more things. So um, making sure that they realize, hey, you're already doing these things. It's just the methodology and the way we're going to circle back and holding the students accountable and in a more efficient process than, oh, maybe all the sticky notes that like sit on my desk all the time. So um, 
it, it it's a tool to help them be better and and that's the purpose of a framework like this is to make sure that as a teacher who has a million different things on your plate you still have a way to make sure you reach every child also, just to piggyback off what Lauren was saying, um, our team in York works really hard um, to help establish the why. So before a professional development session, we tie it to one of our district goals and we let them see that by attending this session with us, you are meeting these guidelines within our district and the vision within our district. Um, I also think we really are using the opportunity that COVID has presented to us to also, um, you know, shed light onto this framework because we know that we can't go back to how we were teaching previously, that that does not work. Um, and teachers are often complaining about the motivation of students. Um, so using this to leverage a solution um, we're not saying that we're starting one whole new brand new thing. We're just what adjustments do we need to make to our practice to benefit the learners we have in our classroom right now? So not, you know, throwing something new, because if you've been in education for a while, lots of new things are thrown at you and then they leave. I really want the teachers in, in our district to know this isn't something that's going to leave. This this is so meaningful that it's going to be ingrained in the culture of our district. I like that you use the word culture. Because I feel like um, the leadership team at Center for Achievement is very much focused on that culture of personalization and giving every student that opportunity. So it is it is a school culture. It is a mindset. And I think the why is is the reason, you know, absolutely. in everything that you do, if not, you know, you're just spinning your wheels. I think something that pivots personalized learning being one more thing on a teacher's plate. And this is really hard sometimes to explain is that it's not one more thing on your plate, taking off of a teacher's plate and let's put it on the kids. Because mm -hmm. student ownership is the, I mean, that is the part and parcel of everything that we do. So whenever I, you know, talk to teachers or administrators or people at district level, it's like they can't take on one more thing. So we're actually, we're, we're asking them to take some things off and give them to children because they can handle it if we would just give them the opportunity to do so. But you're taking away my control. Hey, <laughs> aspiring perfectionist and type A personality, I'm recovering from it. Like, I know. <laughs> I think you were going to add. Uh, yeah, well, about the teacher perspective and sharing that it's not necessarily just one more thing. We had a second year teacher and we kind of share and make those connections through the walkthroughs, or that's my goal. If I'm going into your classroom, I want to help you make those connections of what I saw is avid or is personalized learning or just good teaching that you're reaching the students. And we have a second year teacher in particular, beginning of the year, I went into her room, the environment, she had the lights kind of dim, there was music, the students were working and she was milling about conferencing with students. And in that short 15, 20 minute time frame that I was in there, she hit on AVID. She talked to them about their science careers and how that was a broader than just a scientist. So she was getting in her content, she was getting in college and career, and she was showing personalization with voice and choice of what the students were doing. They were all going towards the same place, but they were getting there in a little different way. And she said, I was doing all that. And I was like, yes. Because as a new teacher, you're coming into a school that's avid. You're coming into a school that's personalized learning. You don't hear that in your teacher prep or through PACE. So it was a whole new world. 
And she had no idea that in a 20 minute span, she hit all of those. You mentioned just doing a class visit and meeting with the teacher afterwards to talk about um, and showcase what they're doing well. What are some other things that you can do as a coach to really bring those things to light, to shine a light on those bright spots? We like to create a community of sharing. So um, we're a Google district in Richland too, and we have a shared Google Drive folder. So anything that is shareable or should be or can be a resource is put into that. Um, I guess it's a library for all intents and purposes. You can see, you know, what everybody's doing and and how their progress is going. And we're, we're working on transitioning <clears throat> into we're in this middle phase of scaling and spreading right now. So we're working on how we're going to transition into the competency based learning um, a little bit more next year and talking about the learning progressions and those things of that nature. And we're going, we're wanting to create a repository because we're such a small staff um, of resources for different standards and how they're broken down throughout those learning progressions. So it's just making sure that as a whole, as a team, we understand that we are making things for the benefit of every child, not just the ones in our classroom, but the, you know, these are going to help the students when they move forward to the next grade too, because the teacher that they get can see where we were, the, the language that we are using, and it becomes this universal knowledge. For us in York, we have a, um, a newsletter that goes out each week um, that's from our team that highlights, you know, technology strategies you can use in addition to personalized learning practices. Um, and at the bottom of that, we try to highlight any um, tweets that our team has done that week at the bottom. Um, so that, you know, teachers from all over the district are seeing what may be happening in an elementary school, which could be extremely impactful for our secondary folks to see, oh, wow, that's happening in a third grade classroom. Maybe I should consider trying some of this with my secondary students. Um, so just trying to sprinkle the ideas out there um, through our newsletter um, and hoping we can gain some traction that way. Coming out of COVID to share um, I wanted teachers to get into each other's rooms because we were starting to get isolated and insulated in our own practices. And I would hear comments like, oh, I don't know what's going on over there. And so I was really trying to process how I could get people in other people's classrooms without exposing others. And it was shared with me the idea of a ghost walk. So we paired up teachers and they went into a peer's room when nobody was in there. And we gave them personalized learning and added look for's. So go into an empty room, see what you find that creates this environment of student-centered learning and student-centered practices. And they debriefed with their partner and then we debriefed in small groups. And they kept saying, well, I wanna see students. I wanna see students. And we've gotten to a point now where just this past week, we did the same format of a one-point rubric that we did with the ghost walk, trying to model that competency idea of rubrics with our teachers, and we sent them into rooms. So they got to see students in action, and the conversations that have come out of that, well, this is a social studies teacher, but I can get so much out of this. I had no idea this was going on. It's across the building. So trying to get back to their learning walks or ghost walks is what we're using terminology-wise. 
Our team here in Anderson 5 was privileged to go to NC Ties this past week as you're listening to this recording, but uh, one of the ways that they shared that they're getting teachers more so into classrooms amongst COVID restrictions to see what's going on. Uh, they wrote a school district wrote a grant for swivel cameras, put them into each classroom as volunteers, and then they created a database, like a Google site almost, where kind of like a simple K-12 of your own um, per se. And they, so if it was classroom management, then they put those they put those clips under classroom management so they could go look at those strategies. I think that would be a great idea for personalized learning is to create that database of teachers in your building across your district, just by putting a simple camera in their room that's tracking their every move and watching and then you shorten those clips and create that database for your teachers. Yeah, people are always asking, what does it look like? What does it look like? <laughs> that's a great idea. On Mondays when our leadership team meets, we think about what we want to highlight to go visit teachers to see. And so with these walks, we'll go into the classrooms with those targeted visits in mind and we'll leave a, a nice glow for the teacher. I know in some cases there you know, may be a grow that's necessary, but we'll have those conversations a little bit later because we want to focus on the good that we're seeing with those particular walks. And so then we'll highlight those teachers or share some of those or have the teachers even share what they were doing during the afternoon den huddle sessions. So what are some of those examples of look-fors that a teacher would see when they're doing a ghost walk or a learning walk? We know that there's no one way to do personalized learning, but what are some examples of look-fors that you would see? So we did a one-point rubric with different topics and glows on one side and grows on the other because we want teachers to recognize what's going well, but stretch their thinking in what do they see as an area of growth within that um, measure. So we did vision and culture and we provided teachers with profile of the graduate sign. So we want to see those up as reference points. So that was one thing that you could see in an empty classroom. We had learner agency. So do you see evidence of standard operating procedures? Our math and ELA, since we have our progressions, they have developed in their classrooms ways to show the progression that the students are working on. So is that visible? Um, then we looked at instruction and flexible learning environment. Do you have spaces where students can break off and work in pairs? Um, also the ability for whole group instruction because targeted direct instruction is not a bad thing if it's targeted. So you do need a space for that. Um, rubrics up like if you're posting student work is there a rubric visible for students to see what the expectation is so those are a couple of them but we really chunked them into different measures so they could kind of flex and they didn't have to look for everything that was just kind of the guiding principles for a student-centered environment so Jamie speaking of uh, meeting with the leadership team how does that partnership look um, with your admin and you as a coach Oh, wow. So our leadership team, we've come together as a personalized learning implementation team as well. And so with that, you know, we find those knowledge gaps because, you know, we earlier we talked about how um, the buy-in process went. But, you know, even if there was something where the teachers may not have been knowledgeable in something, the um, team actually collaborates on a weekly basis to determine, OK, this is what the team, this is what the teachers need. So we're going to create some type of professional development or professional learning um, to showcase to the teachers, um, do that research, find those videos to show 
and also create those templates and, you know, whatever's necessary to get the teachers to kind of take so much off their plate so that they're just implementing versus having to create all these things. And so that has been very helpful with that collaboration piece in place. Jumping into that, it has been one of the best things that I've ever done as a professional working with that leadership team that's so like-minded in the sense that we are in classrooms, we see what they're doing, we're talking to them, we're talking to the students, we're getting all of this feedback from the templates that we help make. And then we come back and we revisit and we're like, okay, this isn't working. How do we move this forward? Um, And then we'll come back and we'll share it with the teachers. Like, okay, guys, we want you to try this next. And, and we do, but that's because they have some voice. They also have voice and choice and the structure that we're providing them because they're the ones that have to use it. So it, it is really important to understand that even though we sit in a room full of super intelligent leaders, you have to listen to the people who are doing the work. Um, and that that's so important because what's what's manageable to them, they know. And um, they also know their students. So giving them a template allows them the freedom to use it within, you know, those parameters and then make those adjustments as needed for their, their specific rooms and students. Would anybody else like to speak to the partnership with um, your admin team and how that looks with your personalized learning? I can share. Um, So with York School District, um, there is a scale, you know, initial scaling that's happening right now. So um, our principals meet with the district instructional team once a month. Um, Right now we're going through Cognia accreditation. So that's consumed a lot of our time this year. Um, But there have been moments where myself and my counterpart, Tim Cooper, have been able to have some small group time with our um, principals just with blended learning practices. So how do we look at our um, implementation of technology in the classroom, not just for the sake of using technology? How do we make sure that we're very intentional with the use? Um, So even just providing them with an article or something from a blog that is geared towards leaders and how to support the work within their building, um, we have found that's a very easy entry point. It's not intimidating. Um, they can chew on it and make meaning that suits them where they are in their career and in their journey. Um, and then Tim and I with our team can support them wherever they are um, and help them lead from that direction. So that's kind of how we're initiating that here within York. So it sounds like um, someone mentioned earlier that culture And so your admin is actually helping to build that culture. But can anybody speak to maybe you're kind of like the lone wolf and you're going at this and you're trying to implement personalized learning and maybe um, the admin is there, but they're not as a key role in it in terms of helping your teachers get there. Uh, Does anybody have any experience with that? And then how, how did you get over that hurdle? I actually have two different locations within the district. And um, where I have Center for Achievement, um, and I kind of came in on the back end, we are going to, at my other school, start the process of personalized learning next year. So I'm the, the one with the experience at the moment. So right now, I am slowly going up to my like teachers who I know are excited when I come into the room. 
And I'm like, oh, this is what I'm working on. What do you think about this? So, um, oh, I saw you did this the other day in your class. This looks like something I was playing with the other day. Um, what do you think about this? Oh, look at this. Look at this playlist. Look at this. So I, I try to show them things, at least the teachers I know who are going to be excited about it. Um, but right now I'm trying to like create my little crew of people who are going to not just be me talking about how great it is. So um, my admin is great. They, they support me through the whole thing, but um, I'll also be training them and, and helping them at the same time. So um, I have some, I have some tips and some tricks in my back pocket, but I'm not really sure how the ebb and flow will be from one building to the other. We've spoken a lot about school leadership, district leadership, and even our teachers, but I want to start moving this conversation towards the reason that we're really here, and that's for the students. So what, what changes have you seen in the students in those classrooms that have really implemented those personalized learning strategies? They're confident. They're really, really proud of the work that they do. And they know how to talk about it. And they know why it's good work. So we talked about the why in teaching, and that's the why. So the kids know why. Um, I I was a, a high school ELA teacher by trade before I stepped into the coaching world. And I found it really rare how, or the comparison to how often I would talk about standards and expectations with my colleagues and and how that conversation with my students wasn't as strong or their conversations with their students wasn't as strong. But when you have a room full of 16 year olds staring at you and you can't tell them why they're learning something, then um, I think it's really impressive that I see it with second, third, fourth and fifth graders and sixth graders at CFA where they can say, oh, this is what we're learning. This is where I'm at. And this is what I have to do to get to be the best that I can be at it. And that's, that's a lot. They're eight years old. It's amazing. So I don't, I know I couldn't do that at eight. So it's just really impressive to be able to let go and let them thrive. We're starting to see that when teachers are implementing a lesson or a unit that is very student-centered, when they go off of that and go back to a teacher-centered environment, um, the students are asking, when are we going to do that other thing again? Um, so that has been very encouraging and it's encouraging the teachers to know that, Hey, that little shift I did in that last lesson or that last unit, they noticed and they're asking for it. Not only am I a coach in the district, I was a high school teacher as well. So I started the practices in my own classroom before moving to this, but I'm also a parent Mm -hmm. and I have a kindergartner and she comes home with her data notebook. And she can go through her data notebook and tell me where she is, what she's working on, where she's going next. And she'll get in the car. I got my data notebook and she wants to go through it with me. And she's in kindergarten, but that's ingrained in them and they can speak to it at that age. So I've kind of been able to glimpse that students owning their work and talking about their learning at all of our grade levels. And it's been really exciting. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.edu.
www.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!